0: Hello and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Heather Shea. Today we are talking about Gen Z student affairs educators, the latest generation of new professionals to join our campus ranks. I'm thrilled to discuss this topic with two generational Generation Z experts, Dr. Corey Seamiller and Dr. Megan Grace. Student Affairs Now is a premier podcast and learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We hope you'll find these conversations make a contribution to the field and are restorative to the profession. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays and you can find us at studentaffairsnow.com or on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, etc. Today, we welcome our new sponsorship partner, LeaderShape. LeaderShape is a not-for-profit organization that has been partnering with colleges, universities and organizations in creating transformational leadership experiences since 1986. With a focus on creating a more just, caring, and thriving world, Leadership provides both virtual and in-person leadership development opportunities for students and professionals. When you partner with Leadership, you will receive quality development experiences that engage learners in topics of creative, courageous dialogue, integrity, equity, resilience, and community building. To find out more about our virtual programs, please visit www.leadershape.org slash virtual programs. You can also learn more about the Leadership Organization on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Today's episode is also sponsored by Anthology. If your goal is to create an effective assessment, boost data fluency, and empower staff with strategic data collection, and use results for change, look no further no matter where your campus is in the assessment journey Anthology formerly Campus Labs can help you figure out what's next with a short assessment you'll receive customized results and tailored recommendations to address your most immediate assessment needs learn more about how Anthology's products and expert consultations can empower your division with actionable data by visiting campuslabs.com/sa-now As I mentioned, I'm your host, Heather Shea. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I am broadcasting from East Lansing, Michigan, near the campus of Michigan State University. MSU occupies the stolen lands of the Anishinaabe Three Fires Confederacy of Ojibwe, Ottawa, and Potawatomi peoples. Thank you so much to my panelists today. Uh, Let's get on with the conversation. Welcome to Student Affairs Now, Corey and Megan. Uh, As each of you introduce yourselves, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your current role and maybe share a little bit about how you got interested in researching and reporting on Gen Z. Um, Corey, I'll, I'll start with you. Welcome. Great, thanks, Heather. I'm
1: really excited to be here. So, uh, my name is Corey Seemiller, and I'm currently an associate professor of leadership studies at Wright State University. But I wear many, many hats. I I teach in an undergraduate organizational leadership program, a master's in leadership development program, and I teach in our master's um, in in a higher education student affairs program. So, I I do I kind of have my hands in all sorts of levels and topics and and. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. The really the kind of interesting part too is that you know as we look at Gen Z, I have uh, the ability and the great fortune of being able to interact with them on so many different planes. So I have them as my students in my graduate classes, I have them as my students in my undergraduate classes, and then I study them. And then my favorite role ever is that I am a parent of a Gen Zer, and so I am inundated with Gen Z all around. Uh, I really got interested in them um, from my former institution where we were recruiting students for. our leadership program and realized we just needed to think differently about how to appeal to students of today. And so uh, one thing led to another and, you know, a study led to a book. And here we are many years later with uh, a great interest and passion in continuing the study of Generation Z.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. And Corey and and my path crossed back in 2001, I think, at the University of Arizona. So it's fun to to see see you again and see all the things that you've done since then. Um, Megan, welcome to Student Affairs Now. Thanks for being here.
2: Hi Heather. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Megan Grace. I use she, her, hers pronouns. Um, in my current role, I serve as a consultant with Plaid LLC, and I primarily oversee our research and assessment um, initiatives that we provide for our clients, a little bit of curriculum development. So uh, the work that I'm doing, really, we do a lot of work with higher ed institutions and um, with nonprofits working in the higher ed space. And so we're really designing solutions for professionals that are working with with Gen Z students, which is a really um, awesome opportunity that I have. And then another thing that I do is I'm an affiliate researcher with the University of Tennessee at Knoxville with the Post-Secondary Education Research Center. And so I'm able to do some really cool work around what we're doing right now is COVID student engagement and how the student affairs profession is adapting day by day in the way that we try to impact students and, and I'm also working on super, from some fraternal related research projects so thinking about very niche areas of student life um, within the fraternity and sorority life space so um, I really uh, since I think even we first had our first conversation on Gen Z with with at student affairs live we've all kind of taken new pathways um, into the ways we work with Gen Z and Corey and I have been on this journey while I try to count it and every year it seems more and more magnificent. I think we're on year seven now thinking about Generation Z from a more research perspective and thinking about uh, designing resources for readers and people that want to learn about Generation Z and, and integrate that into their work. So as Corey mentioned we got into this just because we were working in student affairs and wanted to understand our students a little bit better and I always say it was like the best Bob Ross happy accident we ever made um and learning about (laughs) these students and how it's created this amazing journey for us. I love it yes
0: we will link to that other episode on student affairs live so folks can watch our conversation from several years ago when your book um Gen Z Comes to College first came out so it's fun to re-engage um so we're going to talk specifically about student affairs uh, educators who are members of Generation Z today, but let's begin by talking about who do we mean when we refer to Gen Z, what age range is represented, and if you had to give this generation a tagline, um, what would it be? Uh, Megan, do you want to kick us off with that topic?
2: Yeah, we generally use the the age range of people born between 1995 and 2010 uh, for those who are born in Generation Z. So really fast math, the very youngest are turning 11 this year, and the very oldest are turning 26, which is wild to think that generation that's turning 26, I, that means I'm also turning an age older than 26, which is a fun treat, um, but <laughs> when we think about this, we've really seen them grown up from high school students through college, and now they're in the student affairs world and in the profession, I think that there's a lot they're going to offer our profession, which I'm excited to cover more in this conversation when I think about a tagline, this is a a tough one for me to think about because there's so much going on with Gen Z in in a really fascinating and amazing way. But when I had to boil it down, I would say they're digitally connected change makers. Um, And I put a comma between digitally connected and change makers because they don't just rely on technology to make the change possible. Uh, But that is something we absolutely have to recognize is the digital nature of the world that they've grown up in because it's so vastly different than previous generations. I think some just if I think more about that, the definition. Of generation z yes other generations have used technology and we've seen digital technology emerge and evolve over time but they've literally never lived in a world without the internet like not a single day of their remembered existence has the internet not existed and so that is a huge factor in this generation today Uh, but that's not the only thing that i think they're going to bring into the workplace and especially not into the student affairs profession
0: so i we're not going to spend a lot of time talking you know about the specifics of other generations, but what's a quick resource if folks want to do that backstory and understand all the generations that came before Gen Z?
2: I think one that we initially always point people to would be the first few chapters of our most recent book, which is generation Z: a Century in the Making, and we really frame it to be a deep dive into generation Z, but like, we can't do a deep dive into Gen Z before we understand the generations that come before them and so we actually provide a breakdown of each of the what we would call like five or six modern generations that we're seeing in existence today from the g r generation all the way through millennials, and we talk about the context that shaped them and it allows readers to understand generational theory a little bit better, generational cohorts, and then how all of that mixes together to help us create a multi-generational society that we live in. The other resource that I would direct people to is we actually have an online course um, called Understanding Generations, and that's really where we break down different components of generational theory and how we start to think about each generational cohort in, in their unique nature. And we provide an overview of each of our modern generations as well. We have to give a lot of love to previous generations because they did so much to create the world that Generation Z is growing up in, but also reacting to and interacting with.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I was thinking um, too, also as a parent of two Gen Zs, like they are in, you know, I guess indirectly or or maybe directly affected by both their grandparents and by my generation, right? Because we are the ones who are raising them. So our lenses are obviously part of that too. So the age range you just stated, Megan, uh, 95 to 2010. So as you said, current 11 to 26 year olds. Um, So Corey, it seems like that means that the oldest members are potentially our current master's students and new professionals. Um, How are Gen Z new professionals different from millennials or Gen Xers?
1: Well, I'll start by sharing a funny story. So I was teaching a class about Generation Z. It was a graduate level class a few summers ago. And I thought I was teaching it to people who were going to learn about Generation Z. And out of out of my my student body, I had a number of students that were actually Gen Zers in the class. And that's when it occurred to me, they're here and uh, getting ready (laughs) to go out and do, you know, their grad assistants on campus and do, you know, student affairs work. And so um, that's been a really interesting shift to kind of think about how are we teaching about Gen Z to Gen Z. And, And a lot of people say, well, that's not necessary because they know themselves. But but it is in some ways because the context is different right and student affairs professionals who are working with with maybe undergraduate students in particular you know kind of understanding what those roles they play even if they share many of the same characteristics is really important to be able to delineate i think you know one of the things that we talk about a lot in our books and our research is this idea of context and that context matters i remember when i was i was an ra and it was my last year in college and my hall director was hunkered over a computer and it was a black screen with a green cursor and I said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm sending a prof. And I said, what in the world is a prof? And she goes, I don't know. It's like this mail thing where you can send a message to somebody else on the campus. That was apparently the name for the inter-campus email system that had just been invented. So <laughs> I had literally gone through my entire undergraduate experience uh, without this idea of email and even entering into you know, my grad assistantships and early student affairs work. We didn't have the kind of technology and the kind of uh, access and influence and the things that our uh, new professionals have today. Um, And so I think it's really important to keep that context in mind, but more particularly uh, that's more particularly interesting is this idea of who Gen Z is as, as these new professionals. And one of the big markers of them, and as Megan alluded to, is being these change makers. I mean, they feel a great sense of not just duty, but just draw and calling to make a difference in the lives of others. And what a great alignment for student affairs, right? I mean... You know, I've worked for many, many years, almost two decades in student affairs. And we know that we do a lot of work because we love the students and we care about the students and we know that we're making a difference for them. And we also know that, you know, we're, we're not gonna be the richest people in, in, in town. But we don't do it for that. And to find a generation that already comes into this profession with that mentality means we might have more retention, where they say, I feel like every I'm, I'm, every day I go to work, I feel like I'm making a difference, that maybe I want to stay, and it's okay if I don't advance. It's okay if I don't make a lot of money, which is what a lot of Gen Zers are saying. So I really think that there's this bigger calling for them that's in alignment to the kinds of things that we're looking for and having kind of longer-term retention of student affairs professionals.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I think we're going to pick up on that topic um, here in a little bit too. So um, Megan, tell me about what you see as some of the common misperceptions of this generation that we should be cautious of and not making assumptions about what
2: their needs are or attributes are. So I think one would be that very misconception that all they want to do is be online and that they only want to connect digitally Mm -hmm. and that they only need to talk to their boss via text message or gchat or whatever messaging platform they use. We saw this even prior to the pandemic, that this is a generation that craves human connection, whether that's face-to-face or in-person, that they are very apt to even willing to be jumping on, you know, a video conference than, um, than ever before, because they're missing human connection. And I mean, we've seen it in our qualitative work that they, they share that technology is great, like you can connect with a lot of people quickly, but that doesn't mean it's always the highest quality interaction. So I think that's one misperception that we're seeing is that just because they can always be connected doesn't mean that that's the only way that they want to be connected. So there is going to be this, I think, even more so a desire of wanting to be together, whether that is in person or online through video communication, but they, they want to be with people, if you will. And then yeah. the other one is this, uh, something that is, I think, pervasive in Gen Z culture, which I think will be interesting to keep an eye on as we move into the uh, professional world of Generation Z, would be the influence, like, the, uh, um, the role of influencers and who influences their values. Right now, we're seeing, especially with TikTok and Instagram and YouTube, that online celebrities um, are people that matter to Generation Z, but at the same time, they don't. Like they matter for entertainment. And when we look at who matters in terms of influencing their values and decisions, we tend to see that it's people that are very close to home. So it's going to be parents and family members, mentors, coaches, um, and their friends. And so the role that these relationships play, it's really the people that they are able to connect with in person that are going to uh, have an impact on their values. And I think that how that translates to what we're looking at in the workplace is that good mentorship, good supervision and good workplace relationships are only going to be Uh, even more critical with this generation, I think that we we all recognize the importance of having good coworkers and colleagues, but with this generation, especially with where we're at with the pandemic and the desire for connection, having people that you enjoy being around, and that can influence you in positive ways and creating a a productive and healthy work environment is going to be at the forefront of this generation. So I would say two misconceptions would be how they interact online and who they interact with um, is very different I think than uh, what they want in real life when they're not online. Interesting, that's super interesting. Yeah when the COVID um, pandemic just first started
0: my older kid who hosted a weekly Dungeons and Dragons um, game at our house was devastated and then he figured out he could do a really similar thing using Roll20 online and it was like, all of a sudden his world just opened back up again, because it was like he needed that interaction. Okay to not go to school, but if I don't get to do the D and D, it's gonna really change the way I am in the world um, for him. So so you two have written several books together. I think we're gonna post those in the links. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you've learned over the years in researching Gen Z? Um, Corey, will start with you and then both of you can kind of pick up and what, what are some of the broadest takeaways? Well, I think one of the things
1: that, that I, I I think we learned as researchers, not necessarily about the generation itself, is that we didn't really know that a lot of generational researchers don't do qualitative data collection. They do a lot of polls. And, <laughs> yeah. and so when we started asking open-ended questions, we were getting these amazing stories behind the numbers. And um, for me, I, I learned that that is just way more interesting but also gives more voice to this generation so much so that when we did our second study we pretty much other than the demographic questions only asked uh, open-ended questions because we really wanted to hear the voices of the of the students so that was a kind of a, a learning moment as a researcher to say how can we best approach trying to understand generation z now of course we've had a lot of like individual takeaways and we'll be talking about those all through today but i think for me the biggest thing was being able to try to provide voice and space For Gen Z to tell us what they really think about things, even if it's things that we might not want to hear or we're not ready to hear.
0: Um,
2: Yeah, Megan, how about you? For me, there's. uh, I think it's two part. There's never going to be a conclusive, comprehensive, representative generational study. Um, That's maybe just a warning to anyone listening out there that there's no one study that's ever going to be able to capture an entire generation. Uh, It's impossible. And so that's really where Corey and I have uh, encouraged ourselves to stay fervent in this mindset of how do we triangulate and develop um, a little bit more of a comprehensive view, utilizing lots of different resources and uh, different studies that we're conducting, but that other people are also conducting to find the really important themes. Um, Because you can't just gather all of the generation and pull them. That's, it's so impossible to do so that would be one and then there's just so many layers there's so many elements of interconnectedness of the findings that we have and that's where the qualitative nature of some of the work that we do has been really helpful as Corey mentioned to just illuminate a little bit more of that those interconnections but when we find a study around you know maybe one quantitative study that Has found this one thing, there might be another study that's allowing us to understand a little bit more of the why and the intersection there and um, the many different societal contexts that are shaping that, that it's not just a political influence and it's not just a social influence and it's not just a technological influence, especially in the last year. We've seen all three of those things collide heavily, that there's so much going on and I don't want to say noise, but there is a lot that we have to sift through and understand how it all works together, which um, I think when we first started the study, we were like, let's just ask what they like and see what happens. And then we, <laughs> I distinctly remember Corey and I being like, maybe we'll write an article about this. And <laughs> I do. I remember we had coffee. We were sitting in the studio, <laughs> and we were like, maybe we'll have we'll write an article about this. And we thought that was so ambitious. And here we are. So you yep. never know where it. I love is. it. I love it. Well,
0: I, I know one of my early questions was about how you generalize and I think the the answer is a qualitative response, right? I mean, to be able to look at individual voices is really is really important. So I'm happy to hear that because aggregating all that data, you know, making one statement about this is what a generation is, um, is tough. So I don't know if you want to say anything more about the methodology piece, but I find that really interesting as a qualitative researcher myself that the individual voices and stories really matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Heather, I, you know, I'll definitely address that. I get asked a lot in um, in my
1: presentations, you know, can you tell me about Gen Zers in, you know, rural Oklahoma that were homeschooled or something? And it's like, uh, no, <laughs> not really. Um, there's just so many nuances and so many levels of understanding. But I think what, a couple of the key things that we try to keep in mind, of course, we're guided by qualitative data, and, and that, is, that definitely allows us to really try to represent voices. The other things, though, that are really important is that we frame our research in, in something called pure personality, and this basically is the idea that what happens in someone's lives between the ages of about 14 and 24 fundamentally shape the way that they see and navigate the world. And so while we're all going through like the pandemic right now, certainly people in this age group are going to take something with them that we- We are not. We have no context for taking it with us. And what that does is by having those formative experiences during that time, it really does shift worldviews in ways that it doesn't necessarily do that for older people. So our goal is to look at the pure personality of Gen Z, not necessarily be disaggregated by every possible strand, because the peer personality is a reflection of all of those cultural influences that Megan talked about. The other thing that's really interesting that we came across with this data is that there were so many measures, not just qualitatively in the things that we looked at with themes, but even quantitatively in other studies as well, is that where numbers were off the charts, they were up 90%, 100%. I mean, at some point in time, you just don't disaggregate because everyone puts a certain response. And to us, that was really shocking because we started comparing um, Gen Z data to particularly like millennial data, we found that it was just much higher, like much higher off the charts for almost every measure where there was a much stronger uh, peer personality. And this this doesn't mean that there's not differences and there's not diversity it just means that these are really strong indicators and so that was that was really really important um, and then the last thing is really sometimes our you know the n you know the number of people in the mm-hmm. study is just far too low to break it down into into groups but um, we were able to do that with our politics study um, and we, we couldn't break it down by all races but by looking at white and then looking at people who didn't select white as one of their racial uh, indicators we found literally no difference across the measures. So again, this is from a researcher standpoint, this is kind of the golden ticket. You you like this because it does do some
2: affirmation in the work that we do.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that.
2: Yeah, go but ahead, Megan. To add on to that, Corey, like we would love to be able to do that, but to break it down even further, but what is, if we start to disaggregate so far, you just seek to find what you want to find and it becomes like confirmation. So if you want to find that rural students who grew up in rural counties, like you, if you're asking the question, you kind of probably know what the influence of a rural upbringing might be on a student. Um, and if that changes so heavily, but I always go back to our first study, like we had heavy representation of people from Oklahoma. That were we didn't know if they were from rural areas, but even then, we were seeing that those findings aligned with other studies in terms of thematic findings. So, perspectives and um, their values were still similar, and so maybe the the concept of and that's something we're going to try to tease out in future uh, future research. Does the situation of your hometown really influence? that much of your, your peer personality with your generation, as much as it, as, as much as some people might think it does, because I think anecdotally, as we saw in the last year or two of people sharing, especially having tough political conversations with their family members, Mm -hmm. that growing up where you grew up, doesn't always indicate how you're going to have a worldview. It might have some role in it, but we're, I think we're seeing a little bit more of that blending than we anticipated. So the disaggregation component of our research is, is a little bit tough to, to get into. Yeah.
0: That's super interesting. So let's um, shift to talking a little bit about what this means for working with student affairs educators who are members of Gen Z. So in your latest book, um, A Century in the Making, Generation Z, A Century in the Making, you describe four major characteristics so, uh, of Gen Z. is integrity, openness, tenacity, and care. So talk a little bit about what brought about those, what social forces maybe created those characteristics, and then how might these characteristics show up as we, you know, those of us who aren't members of Generation Z, engage with student affairs educators who are Generation Z? Megan, do you want to
2: okay. go with this? Yeah. Absolutely. So when we were trying to d- distill this, and this is such a hard question to try to answer, like, how do you describe a generation? What? That's a very big question. And so yeah. <laughs> we actually looked to both our studies where we asked generations to describe themselves. We felt like that was a pretty worthwhile endeavor to have their voice be present in that. And then we looked to a few other large scale data sets um, and then other studies that are asking similar things. And what are really the synonyms that popped up in all of those studies to think about some themes in describing this generation? And so uh, we didn't just pick these out of open air do you want to say that uh, but when we think about integrity I think about the societal factor of how this generation has seen in many ways um, disingenuousness in a bunch of different uh, systems so we've seen it with public figures corporations and the government of where when integrity is shown to not be present what that means to the people involved and so I think that there an element of generation wants to do people um, and that they feel responsible to doing the right thing for others and whether they see that in older generations or not that's something that they are really taking adoption to Of like doing the right thing is very important openness uh, we see this with every generation is a little bit more open-minded about social issues uh, we've certainly seen that in the last 60 to 70 years with each generation being more and more open-minded to, to um to social topics, whether that is the way that we're looking at civil rights, or we're looking at gender identity, or we're looking at sexual orientation, we kind of see that the the mindset of social issues, uh, it it broadens as new generations come up. But I think that this is going to be even more um, prominent with this generation, uh, with the role that authenticity plays. Like With integrity comes this value and desire for authenticity with this generation of being who you are. Um, If you want to have the confidence to be who you are, uh, you hope that there are people that are open-minded and to accept you for that. So those two are kind of going hand in hand tenacity, we've kind of bridged this where we see in our study and a few other studies that this generation describes themselves as hardworking and responsible. So wanting to do not only the right thing, but they want to do a good job at doing the right thing. And so we're seeing this also coupled with being raised predominantly by Generation X parents that have been handing down this message of hard work is important, doing the right thing is important. And so we're seeing that come together. And then care, I think really just wraps up all of this of doing the right thing, working hard, but then also having access to information to learning about social issues um, and having a personal responsibility to feeling like they can address those social issues. And I think that's where we see care come into this place of they might see issues that uh, maybe don't impact them personally, like it might not necessarily impact them on their day to day, but they've got friends that an issue might impact or they see it in their community and they want to help other people. I think all four of these characteristics are really important to think about the, the role of student affairs educators play on campus. We want people that are, that have integrity, that work hard, that are open-minded and accepting and care about other people. So I think that we see that in present and in older generations, but with this generation having such self-identity in these areas, I think it's going to have a a wave of new professionals coming into the field, really um, encouraging this, but also expecting this both from leaders and the people that they work with. Like they want to work Mm -hmm. with people that are authentic and practice authentic leadership within integrity. Um, But they're not going to be able to practice their tenacity if they don't find that connection, um, that open-mindedness with the people that they work with. So uh, at its heart, student affairs is a caring profession. It's a helping profession. I think it's going to be a very welcome place for Generation Z professionals.
0: That's great. Um, Corey, I think you mentioned earlier about this idea of engaging in meaningful work. And as I engage and um, connect with the students who are part of our master's of student affairs program. Like I'm definitely seeing that as a driver for their interest in this profession is that it is a, in their mind, meaningful work. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that plays out in our, in our workplaces and suggestions you might have for those of us who work, who are from Gen X, supervising Gen Ds and kind of getting that motivation and focus to, the, to center within our workplace environments?
1: Yeah, that's a great great question. And particularly because we, we think of um, G- Gen X in the, in the, in the context mm-hmm. with which Gen X comes to, you know, the supervisory relationship. And certainly we can talk about other generations too, but I think with Gen X is remembering that they're really marked by this idea of autonomy and uh, self direction, um, very practical and pragmatic. And um, when it comes to supervising Gen Z, there's a a little bit of a disconnect in some sense that can be overcome if if both generations are aware of the situation. So in one sense, Gen Z wants to do well, they wanna do right. And sometimes they need to be able to have someone at a supervisory level that's a little more involved with them than they probably are used to having, at least the Gen X or supervisor is. Um, I know Gen X supervisors want to say, here, go ahead, this is your program, you know, you're the GA or you're the new professional, go run with it, let me know in our one-on-one how it goes. But Gen Z wants to be able to collaborate and they want to be able to bounce ideas off of, of their Gen X supervisor because it's so important for them to be able to make a difference and to do what Megan was talking about, to do right, that they want to make sure that they're on the right track. And so that means that Gen X needs to probably be a little bit more mindful of being, um, at least in the front end, a little bit more um, involved, maybe showing them or demonstrating how something works or sitting down with them as they work through their first, um, you know, workshop proposal kind mm-hmm. of thing, whatever it might be that they're working on and really being there on the front end. But Gen Z is a little bit like their Gen X, uh, you know, parental generation in in which once they feel like they have it, they're good to go. And then you can let them go. So that's a really important delineation, because I think Gen X is predisposed to say, hey, I trust you. This is a compliment to you that I'm leaving you alone. But Gen Z might feel that they want a little bit more involvement. The other thing too, is that Gen Z, you know, needs a lot of feedback. And this isn't really all that new, because millennials also needed a lot of feedback. So Gen X is pretty much used to this. But Gen Z really is okay with getting critical feedback. They wanna know if they mess something up. They wanna know if they're not on the right track because remember the context matters. And you know they're coming of age in a time in which the digital world is just predisposed to judging each other. I mean, we literally have built-in mm-hmm. buttons of thumbs up and thumbs down. They don't wanna be you know, publicly humiliated by doing or saying something that, that makes them look or feel bad about what they're engaging in. And so getting that feedback early on is super important saying, hey, I'm gonna redirect you. And they're, you know, they'll say, thank you. I really needed that, I really wanted that. So it's again, that involvement and that care that they're feeling that they need. But I think most importantly, and this is something to really remember is that Gen Z's relationship with their parents, again, this is a pure personality trait, not all of them, but is really this idea of co-pilot. Now, remember we're coming off of uh, millennials where their parents might've been more like helicopter pilots where they flew over and sort of you know, monitored the situation. Gen Z is looking for their parents to be very involved in their day-to-day lives, in their situations. They, they're looking for them to be in these roles of coaches and mentors. And in some sense, you know, it's not surprising they would look to their, their Gen X supervisors in this in local parentis kind of way. I want, you're not just my supervisor and I don't wanna just be your friend like we saw sometime, you know, at some points in higher ed is I want you to be my life coach and I'm looking to you for that role. And so again, it's gonna pull Gen X in a little bit more into the relational side of supervision than maybe some of them um, have been used to doing.
0: Fascinating. Uh, That explains a lot, actually. Um, I was just called by some of our master's cohort, their mom. And I was like, (laughs) oh. But that that might be part of where that's coming from a little bit, because I can totally see that, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think about these challenges around supervision and generations. And and can you talk a little bit more about what other challenges you might see as we um, see an influx of Gen Zers um, entering the student affairs profession? so, just expand yeah. on that a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there's
1: a couple things too that that are you know we take it out of the context of Gen X and really just look at supervising Gen Z. Um, as we've talked about before, the ability to make a difference is really important. Now, remember, Gen Z sees on two levels, right? I'm making a difference for my students, but I'm also making a difference for my students so that they can make a difference for others. And, and there's that the layer and that's a, you know, kind of like I said, a calling or, you know, in some sense, a, you know, this this feeling of of uh, responsibility that they want to do right by their students. Um, so they need to feel like that they're making some type of a difference. And, uh, you know, having worked in student affairs long enough to know we sometimes get pulled into bureaucratic moments and political things and administrative tasks that just seem to have no end to them. and. Um, and while we, we need to do that, because there's purpose for those things, um, sometimes it, it will go a long way to sit down with Gen Z and talk about how those particular processes that you're, you're asking them to do actually do make a difference. Like I'm asking you to fill out this annual report, not because we have to turn it in, but I'm asking you to fill this out because it's important that we showcase what we're doing so that we can get feedback and know how we can get more resources to make the kind of difference that we know that we're making. So that's the kind of messaging that needs to happen so that those processes that feel like they're just out of the scope, of quote, making a difference are really also about making a difference. I think the other thing, and, and you know, we, we haven't really talked much about this yet is, you know, Gen Z is it, it has higher levels of diagnosed anxiety and depression than any other mm. generation before them for multiple reasons. Higher rates, higher reporting, you know, better access to, to support um, but with that said, it's important for supervisors to to know and be able to recognize any kind of red flags that may come up that, that they say, my Gen Zer needs some support. I mean, you have to remember this generation is feeling the weight of the world on them. In our in our stories project, we, we asked them questions about things that worried them. And a lot of them talked not just about what worried them, but they talked about this overwhelming sense of responsibility to be the ones to solve the problems. And we're talking about 18 and 19 year olds that are filling the survey out that are basically saying, I feel responsible for ending. Climate change, like when I was eighteen and nineteen, those were not the things I was thinking about. And so th- they're dealing with the everyday weight of the world, right? Just like everyday issues that we all face, but they're also having these societal things, just literally sitting on them, and it's tough. And as supervisors, mm-hmm. we need to be really in tune to where our, our our new professionals are at, so we can provide the best kind of support that we need to do.
0: Wow, that's really powerful um, and a good reminder for sure. Um, and so let's let's switch to talking a little bit about, and we've alluded to it a little bit, the, the pandemic in particular. So there's lots of generational markers, right? The co- common cohort experiences. So I'm thinking of the Vietnam War and eco- economic collapses and 9-11 terrorist attacks. Um, and so really early in the pandemic, like maybe the week that we all went in quarantine, um, I said to my two Gen Z-er kids born in 2005 and 2007, that this is gonna be the defining moment of their generation. Um, and I think, frankly, it's probably been the defining moment for everybody who's currently um, alive and being affected. Uh, so, but I'm curious about like what does a COVID campus response look like, um, and how do you know think think about new professionals who are coming into this profession, and in a very different modality in terms of working online. Um, being isolated from one another, um, canceled spring breaks, no more study abroad, like all of these kind of generational, um, or sorry, college experience markers end up being really important. The the folks who are coming into our student affairs roles um, and who are entering our master's programs maybe missed some of that. Uh, so what does this look like and how, how do we kind of make meaning of that? And I, this might be like your your next book, right? COVID effects <laughs> COVID, uh, on Gen Z. Um, Corey, do you want to start? No, I have another question for you, Megan. Yeah, I mean, it
1: comes down to this, that we have to admit that we cannot relate to what they're going through. Mm. Mm. Uh, it, we We have to admit that. I don't know what it is like to have missed a study abroad experience that I was supposed to go on. I don't know what that's like. I don't know what it was like to miss my graduation. I don't know what that was like, Um, but we can empathize. And we can say that what you're experiencing is something that's unique. Um, My daughter was in, she was in fifth grade this last year and she was supposed to have her graduation. And it was the same old, same old, you know, the chairs in a row facing the stage and they get their little diplomas and they didn't have it, but you know what they did? They had something that was about 20 times better than that. So while we want to acknowledge that there is a sense of loss, there is a sense mm-hmm. of innovation and while this generation is is at the forefront of creating social change the the fact that they were the first ones to experience some of the good, some of the bad of the innovation that came from covid is really a remarkable milestone in their own development. And so Yeah, I don't know what it's like, but I can empathize and I can say, you know what, I can learn from you because whatever that felt like, I want to make sure that we, you know, we make sure that students, you know, don't feel disempowered and that they do feel that they're they're validated and they're important in this process. And so I think it just comes down to kind of a philosophical approach to how we really try to embrace and understand and listen to our our students, our new professionals, our graduate students, and and what it is that they need to be supported.
0: Yeah, Megan, t- talk a little bit about preparing graduate students, you know, so thinking about that kind of first, you know, frontline um, folks who are coming into graduate assistantships or coming into new professional roles who are engaging with the high school students who didn't have a high school, right, grad- or whatever those, whatever those experiences of difference were, how do we help them kind of think about what that means to work with students whose end of high school is so different?
2: I think it's uh, and kind of building off what Corey said, we have to recognize that when we're working with students coming out of high school and you know even just in college today, they've got a complete they've got a COVID filter on everything moving forward. This is the best way to put it. If we live in a filtered world these days, they've got a special COVID filter. Um, whether that's a loss of a milestone or a celebratory experience at the end of their senior year or new student orientation looking incredibly different than it ever has all of the built up momentum that I think we put at that, that part of being, um, you know, 17, 18, 19, starting college, just, it has a very different look and feel. And so recognizing that difference and trying, um, again, being empathetic to it, but realizing that. There's also a lot of resiliency that was practiced by young people today and the understanding of how they made personal sacrifices for the greater good at such a young age. Mentally, emotionally, physically, whatever you want it to be, we have to to also recognize that. And so um, finding still moments to celebrate is important. I think when we're thinking about graduate students who are gonna go on and directly work with um, incoming students, that it's not only recognizing the COVID filter, but also recognizing what that might mean Um, For the students, I think we're going to see students looking at the college experience cautiously and I say cautiously in a variety of different ways. Um, the way that they interact on campus, I think it might open up different conversations around public health on campuses and campus safety in general, and paving the way for maybe more productive conversations around health. But I think also the the fragile nature of the campus experience, as we saw last spring of students being flown home the next day from their study abroad and no graduation. Um, and so I think we'll see the value of those. But uh, I think there's gonna be a lot of students that are cautious about, okay, well, if there's another outbreak, am I going to have to go home? Does it make more sense for me to just go to school right down the road and so the I think that that's communicating to the the profession in the field in general the importance of having really strong engagement um, to keep students whether they're on campus or off campus for their semester feeling connected to the to the university and then I think the final thing that we have to prepare graduate students for is this idea of coaching and role modeling resiliency and self-care I think that both of those things um Got a lot of attention, especially from a professional sense of looking at self care, Um, not just everyone tell me how you're practicing it, but like truly committing to it um, and making that a culture, not just in managing pandemic stress, but one day when we live in a world where we're not confronted with this. I think that we also have to grapple with the fact that there were some self care issues going on within the profession prior um burnout was still present. It was a very different burnout, but burnout was a present there's a uh, it was present and there's a reason why people were leaving the field um so what does that say about more about our profession and how can we help graduate students develop those self care and those um, mental health practices earlier on in their their in their professional career to not only Uh, potentially keep the longevity of their career within the field, but also so that they can role model and coach our students more effectively. So I think those are a few of the areas, but the the COVID filter, we're going to live in it for a little while. And we have to recognize that uh, students went through a lot. They're very resilient, but we have to commend them for the sacrifice they made and do our best to celebrate the moments that we can with them. Yeah, really, really well said. I think,
0: um, that's going to be, it's like you said, it's going to be with us for a while. And I think when we think about kind of what does it mean to return, um, Keith's uh, episode last week was all about like, what should we be restoring? What should evolve and what should transform on our campuses? And I think there's really this quest um, for some level of normalcy, right? And Corey, you wrote about this in a medium blog post, which we'll put in the show notes also about, um, you know in what ways do gen c professionals kind of serve as a part of that normalcy as well as promote it for students and what does it mean um what, what is what is normalcy now and and from a kind of a generational lens yeah this is, this
1: has been such an interesting phrase right the new normal we hear it all mm-hmm. the time right this is the new normal and i've always pushed back on that i don't think that we've reached the new normal I think we're in a transition phase where we're questioning what we want to be doing in the future and what we should be doing in the future. And if we were using our time wisely, particularly in higher education, we would be looking at that which works and that which does not and taking an opportunity to learn from our own best practices. Um, as Megan alluded to self care, this has illuminated it to the point where we can say, wow, maybe our new normal when we get there will be much more around self care. And so. The, the the role of Gen Z is, is a very interesting one, because they're, they are um, they are basically our graduate students. They are new professionals. They're the frontline workers during this quest for the new normal that we haven't gotten to. So the things that they're embarking on are setting the tone for us to say, does that work? Does that not work? Um, for instance, you know, at my own institution, they're looking at, they were always struggling with, you know, trying to figure out how to best do new student orientation. And they've tried various ways, and it was successful in many different realms, but this provided an, a way of saying, hey, we, we have to do it differently because we can't all come together. What can we do? And all of a sudden there's some amazing pieces of new student orientation that would never have been conceptualized had we not been in the COVID era. So potentially the new normal will retain some of those. So we can be more inclusive and spread, you know, and spread uh, access much further or be more engaging. Are, Are we, you know, I'll be interested to see, you know, five years out as we look at student organization, you know, engagement, potentially it could be up given the number of students who are able to engage while they're off campus or, you know, they're, they're working because our Gen Z students work a lot. So it's our Gen Z student affairs folks that are the ones that are leading the charge they are literally writing the guidebook for the new normal and i think that that's exciting and they're going to learn things that didn't work and they're going to learn things that do work and when we look back at this time in history and we talk about why we do the things we do in higher ed we're going to look back on 2020 and 2021 at these gen z student affairs professionals that led the charge in trying out and all of these new ways of being to figure out how higher education student affairs is going to look in the future
0: Wow, I love that. Um I have been thinking about this a bunch because I think we're all trying to kind of figure it out, right? So I love that there might be a bit of a secret decoder ring out there with um our Gen Z uh folks. Uh thank you both so much for this awesome conversation. I know I could just keep talking on and on. I'm endlessly fascinated. Uh I think because of all the multiple hats that we all wear. Um so as we conclude every podcast here on Student Affairs Now, our, our title is Student Affairs Now. So really quickly, uh, maybe as a result of this conversation, maybe just in general, broadly in your lives, what are you thinking about pondering,
2: questioning, troubling uh, now? Uh, Megan, I'll start, I'll start with you. I don't know if I'm troubling, or I think it's more questioning, pondering, um, especially as I still have quite a few friends and contacts that are working on campuses still. Mm. Um, I think I'm pondering how we structure our work life in student affairs and higher education, um, not because I do think that we have learned that Being in your office at 8am and not leaving till 10pm every day might not be the healthiest thing for people and maybe that has some burnout problems. And so I think that it is going to, I foresee that there is going to be more conversation around you having flexible work life um, whether that means being on campus for three days and at home for two days to again practice self-care getting your work done feeling like you're recharged and rest Um, and so I think that that's what I'm pondering is like is the life schedule of campus uh, campus campus-based professionals potentially going to get a healthy makeover um, with what the pandemic has kind of put at our forefront to grapple with. So that's one thing I'm looking at is I'm hoping that we can have good productive conversations around workplace design to have a healthier experience for everyone.
0: I absolutely agree. Corey, what about you? What are you thinking about pondering troubling? Well, I think
1: in terms of student affairs, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see if some of these practices that that uh, we've been engaging in during this transition period are so alluring in some sense from a work, work perspective that we do increase the retention of people in student affairs. As we start talking about that, the things that we're doing really do make a difference um, in ways that we've always known that, but in ways that could be even better articulated by Gen Zers, and that 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 we we see students, you know, again, after like two years in student affairs, we see people sometimes leaving the profession, but perhaps actually staying longer and saying, I I was part of this innovation of this new normal. I'm part of this. I'm excited. I want to be here. I know I'm making a difference. Like I'm literally making a difference in people's lives, not just in their passions and their energies, but I'm saving lives. I mean, we are in COVID and, Mm -hmm. and maybe feeling this sense of great Uh, passion and even a stronger calling than before. So again, I'll be interested to see 10 years out about our retention of our student affairs uh, educators to see to what extent did this burn them out, right? Or to what extent was this just an energizing experience to take on a task that, that no one, no generation before has been presented with in terms of doing this work. And I think that's
0: exciting to be on the forefront of that. Absolutely um yeah i think there's a huge amount of responsibility and also really a lot of energy around being the builders right the builders of whatever might might be coming next um thank you both so much for spending time with me today thanks to everybody who's listening uh thanks also to our sponsors anthology and leadership um which has enabled us to um engage a production assistant so shout out to our new student affairs now production assistant natalie Ambrosi. Thank you so much for your work in helping us um, keep Student Affairs on the air. Um, So you can receive reminders about this and all of our episodes by subscribing to our Student Affairs Now newsletter, and of course, browse our growing archives at studentaffairsnow.com. Subscribe to our podcast, share on social, leave a five-star review. Um, helps us continue to reach more folks and build a community of learners. Um, I am Heather Shea. Uh, Thanks again to our fabulous guests and everybody who's watching and listening. Make it a great week, everyone.